Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz drummer Aaron Comas. He's a well-versed musician who just released his 2018 CD called Sculptures, and it's full of very interesting sonic textures. He talked to us about his childhood in Dallas, Texas, and being influenced by the likes of Miles Davis, Coltrane, The Stones, The Beatles, Led Zeppelin, and so many others. He is a founding member of the Grammy-nominated 10 million-plus album-selling band, The Spin Doctors, and he has played on or written or produced with over 200 albums with the likes of Joan Osborne, Isaac Hayes, Mark Cohen, and so many others. He talked about a very well-worn journey in music, and so much more. So please get to know him and dig this interview, my friends. Thank you for taking a minute out. I've really wrapped my head around your album and, and aspects of your career, and I want to start off with this. Talk to me about this album. It, it, it's an interesting sound for a new modern jazz album. I don't think it's something that people will be like, wow, that has all of the elements that they're used to with jazz. So talk to me about this album and how you got to this jazz oasis in your life at this point. Well, you know, I, ever since I was really young, I've always been very much into jazz. At a young age, I was exposed to it, you know, in, all the way back to junior high school, playing in the big band. And I went to a performing arts high school called the Arts Magnet in Dallas, Texas. And I played in the, in the combos there. And I played in the big bands. We won all kinds of, like, downbeat DB awards back then. It was a great, there was a lot of great people that I went to high school with Roy Hargrove. You know, and I've always kind of been equally into, you know, listening to and playing music like, you know, in the style of like John Coltrane and Miles Davis, as I was into bands like the Zepp like Zeppelin and the Who and the Stones and all that. So I've always kind of had a mixed bag. You know, obviously I, I moved up to New York here about like, almost thirty years ago, believe it or not, to go to the new school. They just started a great jazz program run by the great sax player Arnie Lawrence. The faculty was incredible. I mean I was in small groups but with Jim Hall and Reggie Workman and I took private lessons with Bernard Purdy and Jimmy Cobb was there. I mean, it was just like all, it was just like a, you know, you're walking into the halls with the, with the jazz giants teaching. It was just an incredible opportunity. And, um, when I moved to New York, I was basically kind of equally into having a career as a jazz musician, a guy in a rock band or a studio guy. I've always kind of really just, just loved all those different aspects and put a lot of work into my own musicianship to be ready for that. And pretty soon after I moved to town, you know, I met the guy in the Spin Doctors and we formed the band. I made a, a conscious decision to kind of make that, give a go with that. And obviously that went really well. And so it kind of consumed me, particularly through the 90s, you know, it was really, you know, it just took up 100% of my time. And over the last 15 or so years, even though the band's still going, in fact, I'm getting ready to get on a plane and fly to Arizona today for a gig with them tomorrow. I've had a lot more time to do a lot of the other things that I always wanted to do, like play on other people's records and be, do, you know, do studio stuff, play with other artists like Joan Osborne and a lot of great people that I work with, and also get back into doing more jazz stuff. I've always kind of been under the radar in New York City with playing jazz gigs. And about 10 years ago, I decided to start making my own records. I've always been really into composition, and I wanted to start making my own music, just, just something that really represented me fully. And I've made a couple of them. I made a record in 2006 called Catskills Cry. I made two more with kind of the current live group I have now with Teddy Kumpel, great guitar player, Richard Hammond. And I did a, I did a straight ahead jazz quintet record live at Smoke Jazz Club a few years ago. And then I met this guy, I started working with this guy named Leon Grombaum, who plays this instrument called Sensilian, which is pretty prominent on this record. I met him in another sort of jazz oriented group called the New York Electric Piano 
which I've been associated with for about 15 years. We have about, I don't know, eight or nine records, one of which just came out. And about three or four records ago, Leon uh, played on that. And I just remembered how interesting and cool this guy was. And over the last couple of years, I started another group called the Air Conditioned Gypsies, which is kind of an improvisational collective of musicians in New York City. And I always use different musicians. I've used uh, Vernon Reed on a lot of them. I've done some double drums on those. Mark Giuliano did one, did a couple of them. Jojo Mayer did a couple. Um, I've always used, Leon's the one guy that I always use in that band, but it's always different players. About, about a year and a half ago, I got thinking, like, okay, I want to make another record. I wanted to make it a little bit different from my other ones, which were always kind of compositionally based um, songs that I write on guitar. I write most of my music on guitar. And I wanted to kind of figure out a way to kind of blend what I'd been doing but add more of the improvisational element and a little more of this sort of modern thing that I've been getting into, um, which Leon is a real big part of that sound. So it all kind of led to this. and it, 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 This record, Sculptures, which just came out, is kind of a, I look at it as kind of a, having the kind of three different parts musically. And I recorded a lot more, I think it's about 38 minutes of music. But I, re- I probably recorded at least, you know, 90 minutes of music and I'm, I've always kind of liked records that were short and didn't have a lot of filler. And just, you know, for me as an artist, I just wanted to make something that just where everything just really felt right, which is why I kind of it came down to this 38 minutes. But the three different sections, it started with um, a series of improvisations with just me and Leon in my studio. Um, and like, for instance, the title track, Sculptures, which is the first song on the record, was just an improvisation that me and me and Leon did. We got together a few days, and I just wanted to do like these really kind of short improvs. And, and they all had a, they weren't just like, okay, let's do whatever we want. They basically always had some sort of concept up front, whether it was a, a tonal center or some sort of motif, or even if it was just a rhythmic motif. And we would kind of discuss it, and we would do it. And sculptures just really gel that one song. And we kind of took that improvisation and just we just built very slightly on. The only thing that we added was. I had Leon do like some bass semicillion, which is kind of like has that kind of moogie bass sound. And then this great guitar player named Gray McMurray came in and, and played on top of it. And there were about a third of the record is that sort of idea, these short improvs. And then the, the other, there's a couple songs that are a little more of my typical kind of acoustic guitar compositional thing. I think two of the songs on the record are like that, which I played the acoustic guitar on. And then the third part is, um, was sort of a live session with myself, with Leon, an amazing piano player named Ollie Rockberger, uh, John Davis on bass, and then Gray, we recorded together some compositions I had written, and then Gray came in and, and played on top of it. And it, that's that's basically kind of the short version of how it all how this thing all came together. My initial instinct, my initial feeling when I listen to this album is the word grandiose comes to mind because I don't know that anybody that just gets a, a modern jazz city is going to expect this sound. So my question to you is this. How would you define yeah. the sound that, you, that you're going for on this album? It's always hard to put a label on things. I always just describe it as like, people say, well, what is it? You know, and it, it's hard to just, it's, I don't want to call it jazz. I don't want to call it rock. I mean, jazz is a very broad term, especially these days. And I, I always, I've always described my music as instrumental music. I like things that have a really strong mood. To them, you know, I'm a I'm a big fan of a lot of the records that Daniel Lanois has done. He's put out some he puts out these instrumental records every couple of years, and and I really love those. And I think I I wanted a record that just had the, the most important thing on this record to me 
was that it just had a really, really strong vibe to it. I wanted every song individually and the record as a whole to just set a really strong mood and have a really kind of cool vibe. And, you know, it's a, it's, it's a hard thing to describe, you know. Um, that's kind of what I was going for. Yeah, I mean, I, I, really put the, I really put the vibe front and center. Like, normally my record, it's all about the composition, you know. My attitude has always been, I want it to sound, I want to be able to play it on an acoustic guitar and have it sound, just like a, kind of like a, a really good song, you know. I play with so many great, you know, singer-songwriters, and I'm a guy that's in a band, I'm a real lover of songs. So when I first started making my own records, I kind of took that same attitude. It's like, I want, to, I want this to really present itself great on just the guitar by itself before we play with all the instruments, and then we'll, we'll hopefully improve it from there. But So the song was always front and center, and in this, in this case, I really kind of, although the song was so, so important, I really tried to make the vibe like the, the, the main attraction. Well, and I didn't want to shackle this down with the label, so you saying strong mood and vibe, I think that's the perfect level of, of somewhat ambiguity that kind of makes total sense because that's what it is you you get really wrapped up into a grandiose feeling with this so before i depart the present and go into your childhood in dallas i just want to ask you this you know i've talked to a lot of crossover musicians that have gone from a big huge limelight to the roots of what they were used to say jazz for instance were you chomping all of those years to get back to your roots of jazz or were you just kind of like i'm going to take all of this in grow and then eventually get back to it yeah it was really more like that because the truth is is all those years when you know people just saw me out with the spin doctors you know i've got to remember i've been in new york city for 30 years so i was always coming back to town and doing doing jazz gigs playing a little clubs with people so you know although although playing that style of music wasn't like in the forefront certainly of my career it's always been it's always been there it's always been something i've done it's always been something i've had great interest in so it's been nice, though, at this point, to, to have been able to put my own, to do these kind of records and have my own band now, which really, and play a lot around town. And it's really just become kind of like, it's nice to be able to get to a point where you create your own thing and you have, it's just kind of the ultimate means of my own expression, you know, from, as a, as an artist. And so it's been a real pleasure to have this, you know, as something I do now. Talk to me about growing up in Dallas. How did you get into music and more specifically, jazz well i started playing drums when i was nine and i basically just told my parents that i wanted to take some drum lessons and i kind of lucked out there was a guy named jack Ida that they found at a local music store called brook maze and i started studying with him when i was nine and we just he was great he made me basically just play a practice pattern and stair drum for the first couple of years so right from the get-go i learned how to i was just getting into rudiments and reading and working on developing my hands and he wouldn't even let me get a drum set which i hated at the time but I was so grateful. I'm so grateful to him now for doing that. So I spent my first couple of years with him, and then I finally got a drum set, and I was just lucky to have some great teachers. I studied with a guy named Rick Latham for a while, and then I studied with uh, Henry Oxdahl, who's the head of the drum department up at North Texas State University. You know, I went to the Arts and Minds High School, which I was so lucky to play in small groups and big bands and all these great musicians every day. And outside of that, being at the school, there was this whole group of friends that were all musicians. So we would basically, we were just jamming all the time, you know, and everybody was into different things. And this was like in the 80s. So we were, you know, we were all into rock and we we're all like really into, you know, Miles Davis and all that stuff. And I was getting into more of the straight ahead jazz as well. 
the whole idea of improvisation has always been a, a really major part of, of my musical upbringing from, from really young because we used to just have these jam sessions at our, at our house and at parties and, and, uh, and just improv, you know. So really, you know, ingrained into my musical makeup, you know, from an early age, just playing, like, cool, creative kind of stuff. And it's, you know, it's, uh, it's stuck with me. Without a doubt. You know, the one thing that's very important about any musician is good teachers early on. And you've been mentioning teachers. My, my question is this. Is there any advice that you got that really resonated with you throughout the years that just always came back to you? There's a couple things. I mean, you're absolutely right. I feel really, really lucky to have gotten those, had those good teachers. I think, like, you know, just, just getting your, like, your, your shit together, <laughs> being prepared, you know. Like, I was lucky that I learned how to read music, and I was lucky that I had people that really encouraged me to learn different styles of music, even if it wasn't... I mean, I've all, I'm lucky because I actually legitimately love playing all styles of music, but I think even if, even if you want to just be a jazz musician or just a rock musician, whatever style it is, Unfortunately, you see a lot of people, especially in, in the music world, where they cop an attitude and they just kind of write off a whole other style of music because it's not what they want to do. And I always think that's a big mistake because, I mean, you look at the greatest rock musicians and 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 they they have a wide spectrum of things at the facility, you know. And same thing with jazz musicians. I mean, most of the really great jazz musicians that I know and have met over the years just had a really open mind and loved everything. And didn't you never heard them talking bad about people or you know, which so I think that's important, and that was kind of ingrained in me early on. And also, you know, I had I had great advice growing up in Dallas. Like my teacher Henry Oxdell was like, you know, he's like, look, it's really obvious that you're really serious about this, and you could stick around Dallas and you could do fine. But like, if you really want to achieve what it seems like you want to achieve, and have, you know, make really great music with the best musicians in the world, and have a really good career, then you really need to get out of Dallas, and I would recommend you move to New York or L.A. And that was, like, put in my mind early. And I chose New York because mainly because of the jazz thing, because so many of the people that I really, you know, looked up to lived here, and it attracted me to move to New York. And that was, you know, that was incredible advice. So I think, you know, look, you got to work really hard. you got to practice really hard. you got to keep a really open mind. And you got to set some goals and figure out how you're going to reach them. And, you know, and also be willing to take a left turn at any point. But... If you're prepared, and the best time to get prepared, it's never too late. There's no question. Those younger years are it's the best time to really, you have the time, you know, to practice 10 hours a day and play all day. And just, you know, thinking those, those, those kind of things were really ingrained in my head, you know, early. And I couldn't thank all these, these teachers and people enough for that. You did touch on something I think that is very key about the world of jazz that I've noticed. There's a real lack of ego. There's a real open-mindedness. There's, there's a... There's just there's a lot of humble cats that are in this profession. So I I ask you this: Is it refreshing to be around that the jazz world to kind of feel that kind of that absence of ego and just kind of everybody's in it because we're you know we're musicians. Not saying other genres don't do that, but there seems to be a real prevalence in the jazz world like that. Yeah, I think it's a good time for you know I think this generally there's just so much creative music going on these days, and I think one of the reasons why people are more open these days because it's different than it was 30 years ago. I mean, I think you, because everything is coming together so much more now. I mean, and jazz, what jazz is, has really changed because, you know, people get older and the younger people get, get involved and get interested. And so the tastes change. And I remember meeting people earlier on, it was like jazz, 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 anything else sucked. You know, <laughs> if it wasn't bebop, it was horrible. 
And that attitude really is not, does not exist anymore. Maybe a little bit. But very, very, I think the younger generation has really just opened up the whole attitude. So I see there's just a, I think you're right. I think you're just seeing people are more humble about it now. And I mean, you've got to be. It's such a, I mean, to make a decision to be a musician of any type is a, is a, you know, it's a, it's a courageous decision. It's, it's a difficult life, you know, on any level, no matter how successful you are or not or whatever. Everybody has ups and downs. It's a difficult business, but we do it because we love it, you know, and we all are into this together. So I'm very encouraged by, by not only the level of talent that's out there, the type of music that's being made, and just people's attitude in general, I think, is better than ever, which is really, really great. It really hasn't always been that way, unfortunately. You're kind of a musical chameleon. You talk about you've traversed through a lot of different musical genres and play with Joan Osborne and, and Mark Cohn and jazz musicians, Isaac Hayes, all of these different musicians in different settings. Have all, has all of this enhanced you as a musician and made you stronger now that you're in kind of more of a jazz mode? Absolutely. I mean, like I said, I've, always, I've just been, you know, I'm grateful to have gotten the opportunities to play a lot of these people, and I love it. And I look at it all pretty much the same. I mean, I, even though it's kind of like a different languages, you know, it's, you learn to speak different languages. And, and with music, it's, I think it's important to really respect all the different genres and study them, but then also be willing to break them. That's the beauty of jazz is there's really no rules. Jazz is wide open. You can do whatever you want, you know. And that's what my music is about. It's an opportunity for me to really just trying to throw everything that I've ever learned and like together and not have to worry at all about really any kind of genre. I'm just trying, we're just trying to create our own. I think that's really the jazz. To me, that's what the word jazz means. But, you know, in playing with, like, a lot of other artists, like a guy like in the band, like the Spin Doctors, or working with, working with an artist like Joe, you know, you have to respect that, that music. And I, and I love that as well, you know, going in and playing with, uh, with different people and trying to make their music really great and, and I think that having the opportunity to have done a lot of this stuff has been really, really valuable for me, for sure. And I, I try to bring all my different experiences into everything I do. And, you know, know when to do what and not and when not to do what. That's really what it's all about, you know, respecting the music. So along with good teachers, seeing live shows has to be a great educational aspect of what, what you probably do as a musician. What are some of the live shows that you've witnessed that really had a profound impact on you? Well, you know, listen, that was one of the other reasons I wanted to move to New York. You know, when I came to New York, I moved here late 88. You know, I just went and saw everybody I could. And I was so lucky. I saw, I must have seen Elvin Jones 20 times. I got to see Tony Williams before he passed away. I've seen Roy Haynes 20, 25 times. I missed his show. He just played here this week, but I did see him last year. I think he just turned 93. But I think about seeing, like, you know, to me, those three guys are like the kings of drumming, jazz drumming, I mean, Roy Haynes, Tony Williams, and Alvin Jones. And to get to sit, you know, two feet away from those guys on so many occasions here in New York, it was just amazing, you know, it was incredible, I'll never forget it. You know, not to mention so many others. I mean, I saw Max Roach, you know, just tons of people. And um, those things are they're life-changing, you know, especially when you're young, you come up here and you know, listen to records from these guys, and then you get to sit in a New York City club, you know, right in front of them. Is amazing. So that had a that had a major impact on me, you know, just to you know, to witness that in person. So let's get fantastical and say the jazz DeLorean pulls up in front of your house. You punch the digits in. You go anywhere, any place in time. Who are you going to go see? Where are you going to go? It'd be two bands that I'd want to see. Would be you know the the Miles Band with Tony Williams, Ronnie Carter, Herbie Hancock, Wayne Shorter. That period, and then it would be the Coltrane Band with Elvin Jones, Jimmy Garrison, and McCoy Tyner. So. 
Yeah, I don't think I could pick between the two, but those to me, those are the, my two favorite bands in any style ever. You know, I listen to that music almost on a daily basis. You know, I love all those records from that period. If I could go back in time, that would be where I'd go to check it out. Beautiful. Right on. Let me ask you this. Why do you love jazz? I just love the freedom of the expression, you know, the freedom of uh, the way that style of music. I like music that's free and, and people can express themselves 100% the way they want to with no restrictions. And I think not all jazz is like that. There's a lot of jazz that's not, but certainly the, like the two groups that I just mentioned is a great example of that. And to me, again, it's not so much about the, when I say jazz, just because I'm mentioning John Coltrane or, or Miles, which are my two favorites, it's like there's so much stuff. Just the, just the idea of having that freedom, you know, inside of, of this music is, it's what I love about it. So when I get the opportunity to play any kind of music with that freedom, it's like my favorite thing to do. So when you stand at kind of the nexus of your life right now, you look back at what you've done, and then you look ahead at what you want to do. Are you a happy guy? Are you happy with what's happened up to this point? Yeah, you know, I am. I mean, but at the same time, I, I still have, I think, part of part of trying to be, the goal is always to be a great musician. I mean, and I, I think that that goal never, should never end. So I think frustration is a big part of, of always trying to reach that goal. So I often feel frustrated, but I, but I think I've gotten to the point where I realize that frustration is a good thing. And I practice a lot. I still go to my studio and practice as much as possible. And I've learned that, like, when you're practicing, it's good to be frustrated, you know? You don't, you, if you sound great when you're practicing, you're not really practicing, you know? So, for the most part, yeah, I, I look at, if I, if I don't beat myself up, like we all do, I look at my career, and I think I, I'm very lucky, I've done well, and I'm in a good place right now, because all the different kind of things that I've had the time to work on, one, being a, a band guy in the Spin Doctors, you know, two, being a side guy, and a session guy, getting to work with a lot of different artists live in the studio, and three, now having my own, being an artist and making my own records and having my own band, you know, it's taken me that long to the point where all those three things are actually up and running, which they are now. So as from a creative point of view, it's a good place to be, you know. But, you know, the goal is just to keep it going. I mean, I want to, like, you know, I want to keep improving. I want to keep making great music. And, uh, again, I'm the main reason I moved to New York 30 years ago was to get my ass kicked and play with the greatest musicians in the world and, always be inspired and that that is as alive today as it was then you know especially with the younger generation and you can't just sit around and rest on your laurels man if you want to keep growing you know so i'm i'm, I'm happy to be here so let me ask you this this is my final question everyone has a perception of you your family your friends your fans but you're running the ship who do you think you are <laughs> oh god i don't know you know you just try to be a good guy honest you know, I, I hope that people think of me as somebody that, you know, is an honest person and makes good music. And, you know, I do, I do what I want to do. I, I try to work with people that, that I like working with. You know, at this point, I don't want to put myself in a situation where I'm not going to be creatively fulfilled. It's not, it's not worth it. I've, I've kind of always tried to make good decisions with what I do. And, but, I, you know, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> that's a tough question, you know. <laughs> you know, I try to do my best, you know, and... Uh, and show up and, and be easygoing and, you know, at least as a musician, you know, that I want to always show up and be prepared and, and do a great job. And as a person, you know, you want to be, I hope that I'm somebody that can be, that's easy to be around and, and not a hassle, you know, because, you know, when you're making music and you're working with people, you're just hanging out with people. Nobody wants to be around somebody that's a pain in the ass, you know. So I've always tried to be low-key and chill and just do my thing. Right on. Great answer, man. Aaron, thank you for taking some time out. Thank you for all the music. I really appreciate it. Hey, man, thanks for listening, and thanks for chatting. It's been a real nice chatting with you.
Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Dallas, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Aaron for his cool, his honesty, and being so good to give his time to Neon Jazz. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.